from the glassed-in studios of Rodale Institute Radio at WLVT in Bethlehem, PA, it's time for another herb-infused episode of chemical-free horticultural hijinks. You bet your garden. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Many gardeners in cold climes dream of growing in greenhouses over the winter. On today's show, we'll reveal why the best out-of-season greenhouse may be in your house. Otherwise, it's a fabulous phone call show, cats and kittens. That's right, potential guests are busy shopping for shop lights. So we will take that heat and help it. Of your telecommunicated questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and accurately amazing amplifications. So keep your eyes and or ears right here, true believers, because it's all coming up faster than you picking fresh rosemary for Christmas dinner in the middle of a blizzard right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Lehigh Valley Health Network. In life, we have many kinds of partners, school bus partners, business partners, even gardening partners. Shouldn't you have one for the most important aspect of life, your health? Lehigh Valley Health Network, your health deserves a partner. Welcome to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from Rodale Institute Radio at WLVT in Bethlehem, PA. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, many of us dream of growing food over the winter in some kind of greenhouse. We'll tell you what might be easy to do after lots of your easy phone calls at 833-727-9588. Bob, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Yes, Mike, how are you doing? I am just ducky today, Bob. Thank you for asking. How are you, sir? Um, excellent, thank you. And where is Bob excellent? At Oxford, Pennsylvania. Very good. What can we do you for? I have two uh, river birch trees in my back. Right. And, and over the years, we've noticed that they drop a lot of things, a lot of leaves mm -hmm. and seeds and whatnot. But this year, it's extraordinary. They're dropping leaves at the rate of thousands a day. Huh. And we're getting a little concerned. Well, that's unusual because uh, you've gotten a lot of rain this year, right? Well, you know, it seems like we've missed most of it, but, yeah, we've gotten some. I mean, it, you know, we just seem to be in an area that's missing most of the, uh, the heavy downpours. Yeah, they are really pop-up thunderstorms. I mean, one, one minute the sky will be blue, and the next it'll be threats of flying monkeys coming in from the west. So... <laughs> You know, I've seen some really tropical downpours, but you're right. You can miss them. Um, have you been irrigating them if you think they're dry? Have you been? Well, well not as much as we used to. You know, they're, they're between 30 and 40 feet tall. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we don't pay much attention to them except cleaning up all the leaves now. Right, right. They're beautiful trees. I mean, the yes, the, beautiful yes, bark. Are. And uh, are they near a water source? I mean, um yeah. No. Uh, they're, they're, unfortunately, they're near my pool, which is... <laughs> which is why you want them to keep their leaves, right? Exactly. Okay. So that, now, uh, but they do leaf out beautifully every spring. Yeah, they did. They did. But this year, the trees, now they look kind of bare. You know, we didn't used to be able to see through them. Mm -hmm. Well, you couldn't this, in winter. Uh, but this year, we can see through them uh, like right now, we can see yeah. through them. They've dropped so many leaves. Okay. Well, you know, the good thing here is you have had more than enough time for photosynthesis. So the leaves, when they were green, almost certainly absorbed enough solar energy uh, to keep them happy for next year. I mean, let's face it, you had like May, June, July, part of August. That's a good time. 
and photosynthesis is dropping off sharply now as the uh, uh, hours of daylight get shorter in Pennsylvania. So I wouldn't worry about it long term, but be sure to um, get a leaf blower on reverse and suck up those uh, fallen leaves and make good compost from them. And then um, I think your best friend is going to be a rain gauge. They are really thirsty trees. A lot of them, you know, a lot of times these trees will get the, the moniker, oh, you can plant them in water and they'll grow, um, which may or may not be true. But they are very thirsty plants. And especially, you've described some very tall, beautiful birches. So the taller the tree, duh, the more water it needs. So I would get just a simple rain gauge and check it every whatever whatever day you'll remember every saturday every sunday and if we don't get an inch of rain especially at the height of summer i would advise you to let a hose just drip water at the base of each plant for literally like eight hours to really saturate the soil really saturate the root system um short frequent waterings are bad long drawn out slow waterings are the best for uh, a tree. Uh, but I wouldn't worry about it this year. Um, I think they're gonna leaf out just fine next season. Just keep an eye on their, uh, on how much water they get from the sky. And if it's not an inch, it's, it's on you to replace it. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. I'll, I'll get some drip hoses and uh, cover around the base of both trees. Yeah, we, even when we water them, we only water them short. Like you said, it's short. And yeah, done. that's a cheap tease. Uh, yeah. yeah, the best way for any, almost any plant, lawns, trees, vegetable gardens, is to apply that inch all at once or, or at worst twice over the course of a week, half inch then, half inch Wednesday, half inch Saturday kind of thing. But no, short waterings don't do any good. It takes about 20 minutes for a plant's roots to like wake up and realize there's water in the area. Okay, we'll do that. Okay. And, uh, I appreciate it. Thank you very much, Mike. All right. Take care, Bob. All right. The number to call, 833-727-9588. Camille, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thanks, Mike. Oh, thank you, Camille. How are you? I'm doing very well. Beautiful day. I, I'm in Chesapeake, Virginia, which is in the Hampton Roads Tidewater area, eastern, uh, eastern coast. All right. What can we do you for? I'm calling about um, gardenias, and my predominant question is when to prune them and how much. And um, I would like to tell you just a little bit about, but not m about the conditions, if that's appropriate. Sure, go ahead. Okay, so I live in a suburb, and, but I let it go rather wild with the trees and such, so there's not a lot of sunlight. Mm -hmm. And the gardenias are special to me. I probably have 20 bushes that began as uh, pretty foliage that rooted, and I kept putting them around the yard because when I was a teenager in another part of Chesapeake, there came a big uh, ice storm on a Super Bowl and killed my mother-in-law's uh, gardenias. Right. They were the scent of the summer. So now I have the scent of the summer, and I'm growing them to send them back, but I've let them get out of control. Okay. So I have ones that are um, just too fat, and I have some that are have gotten woody and tall and the leaves aren't pretty anymore. Mm -hmm. And these, of course, are the old-fashioned uh, bloom once a year ones. Mm -hmm. So when and what shall I do? And what time, now, uh, hardy gardenias, um, 
So they are hardy over most winters. They only got killed once. Or was that, have yours yes, never been and winter And that was killed, killed off, uh, 20 minutes from my house when um, ice came off the, yeah, mine haven't died. Well, wait a minute. You said when ice slid off the roof? Uh, yes, at, a, at my mother-in-law's house. Onto the the gardenias surrounded the a screen porch. Oh, and, I got you. So it wasn't yeah. the cold. It was like the guillotine of ice. I, I believe that. <laughs> You've described it perfectly. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Okay, so uh, what time of year do your gardenias bloom? Uh, they bloom in, um, they bloom predominantly in uh, June. In June. So predominantly, yes. We're, we're going to, let's see, June. I'm not familiar with when they set their flowers. June is kind of a wild card. Um I'm wondering if, however, they would be considered spring bloomers and you would start to cut them back now, or if they're considered summer bloomers and then you would prune them in the spring. They never bloom after, I would say, I'm lucky to still have them the first week in July. Okay. Then we're going to consider that these are spring bloomers. And I'm glad you got through to me now because a month from now it'll be too late. Um, to do any kind of productive pruning. Um, okay. Now, you say you got some real woody stems coming out of the ground that just, you know, and the, the leaves. Yes, are, you can and co- some have, gone, uh, have beco- grown horizontally because mm-hmm. they're, I guess, searching for light. Yeah. And this is since um, they've been growing there since the 70s. So, oh, wow. Yeah. It's when I moved, uh, some started to move some over, but they became more important after the the original ones died. Now we're wanting to send some back to that original space and are having some luck with that. Okay, excellent, excellent. So have you have you pruned them in the past? Um, a little bit, but I I'm always uh, waiting, afraid afraid to do harm. Good. That is the best type of pruning. Little bits at a time. Um, whereby if you make a mistake, it's not a drastic mistake. Now, okay. now the real woody, thick stems, are they still producing flowers? Um, they're, uh, some are, and some, some aren't. The ones that have grown over six feet tall yeah. are really kind of uh, thin-looking, mm-hmm. and they'll still produce a flower, but the foliage isn't uh, glorious, and the ones that are newer have uh, rich green uh, often lime green uh, foliage. Mm-hmm. It's quite beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> well, th- so that's when I bring bring them. I cut them and bring them in, and then they root, and I keep going. So oh, that, that's uh, great! That's great. Yeah. Um, so uh, it, it it multi a multi branched shrub, right? Lots of different branches. Yes, multi. What I would do is I would uh, right now before it gets any later in the season, I would cut away maybe up to 20% of the plant, but I wouldn't prune the tips of things. I would take out entire branches. What I'm suggesting is you prune out the tallest ones and then see how that works. And if that works well, you can do another quarter again every year till you get them under control, especially if you're starting new plants inside. Um, But I want you to follow that general premise of a little bit of season, you know, because if they've been in there since the 70s, it's going to take you four or five years to kind of reshape them into what you want. But that, that'll that be the gentlest on the plants. 
And the yes, and some have only been in for a year or two mm-hmm. because I keep I keep adding, I keep adding. It's an addiction. Uh, okay. They're fabulous. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. They're <laughs> fabulous plants, and people struggle with them. So you're to be congratulated. Okay, I appreciate it. Okay, thank you. Bye bye. Thank Camille. you for your cheer and your expertise. Thank you. Yep. Yep. Bye bye. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind everybody out there to pick your string beans promptly. You may call them green beans or snap beans, but whatever common name you choose, they taste the best when they're picked small, before you can see the seeds inside starting to bulge. But don't go out picking just yet, because we'll be right back to grow herbs over the winter and take more of your fabulous phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at WLVT in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Rodale Institute, hosting a Fall on the Farm event on Saturday and Sunday, September 21st and 22nd. Visitors can enjoy organic apple and pumpkin picking, wagon tours, food vendors, live music, and more. Details at rodaleinstitute.org. The Rodale Institute, because the future is organic. Welcome back to You Bet Your Garden from WLVT's Rodale Institute radio studios in Bethlehem, PA. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later, can you really grow food over the winter in a greenhouse or indoors, especially in a really cold climate? We'll give advice to somebody up in Albany who I think can probably pull it off. In the meantime, we'll pull off as many more of your phone calls as we can at 833-727-9588. Michael, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hey, so happy to be on board. I am in Drizzly, Nashville, Tennessee. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, this has been a crazy season. I read in the paper yesterday that the, the entire country has gotten more rain um, than ever before. We certainly have in Pennsylvania, and it's just, it's nuts. If I hadn't rebuilt my raised beds, I don't think my tomatoes would be thriving this year. Fair well, enough, yeah. It's been quite the rainy season for us as well. Yeah. What can we do you for? Well, I have kind of a, t- a split question here. I just, thankfully enough, my beautiful wife, Tanya, and I just were lucky enough to buy our first home. And in our rental that we currently have, she has a magnificent garden, 200 square feet, almost entirely dedicated tomatoes, and another 200 square feet of all sorts of peppers, eggplants, um, all, all you name it, we sort of got it. And um, unfortunately, it's just, you know, it's come to bloom, and there's so many things that are fruiting, that, and I'm wondering... And we have to. We closed on our house, and we're moving very shortly right. in the next couple of weeks. And I'm wondering about transporting, if any, plants uh, from our current rental to our new permanent home. And then my second question is: When we get to that new home, do we? Is it better to, in a brand new lawn that just has grass in it, mm-hmm. till and put a cover crop in uh, right away, or just kind of 
compost and and cardboard and compost the land in order to prepare it for a new fresh brand new garden yeah 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 you all you want to advance to the phd class already um (laughs) okay so the first thing how was your uh, relationship with your landlord when you were renting you know what uh precarious at times they're interested in having us completely take out the garden when we leave so they don't want to let us keep it at all oh so it's not like you can arrange to come back and pick some stuff and give them half? They, 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 we presented that as an option, and they were not too plus to hear it. Okay. So you got tomato plants. Uh, those are the toughest. Uh, what else do you have? We have uh, peppers, green peppers. We have eggplants. We have uh, jalapeno peppers as well. We have cucumbers, mm-hmm. which have kind of run their course, actually, so that's good, all right. Good. We have some strawberries that have kind of come and gone. Uh, um. Okay, so again, here's, yes, the, here's the deal. Um, but first of all, there's no such thing as a green pepper. All peppers will change color as they ripen up. And except for a couple of hot peppers that people really enjoy eating green, you should always let your peppers fully ripen to a final color of, like the peppers behind me, if you can see uh, the TV show, uh, the green one on top and then the beautiful red one and the yellow one. There's also orange-colored peppers. There's chocolate-colored peppers, but, you know, there's no such thing as a green pepper. That's an unripe fruit. Luckily, luckily, peppers pot up and transplant really easily. But you're going to need a lot of good containers. Do you are are you prepared for this? You're going to have to go out and buy stuff. Uh, the latter. Okay. We, we're prepared to buy. Put it that way. Okay. Good. Good. Go out and buy. You want to buy plastic pots? I mean, I'm not I'm not a fan of plastic in general. But uh, these pots will last you many years, and they're the best way to keep a pepper plant alive. So the peppers are going to be the easiest, but you want to try to lessen the shock of the transplanting. So don't dig them up in the morning or in the heat of the day. Wait until it's starting to get cool out or as cool as it gets as the sun is going down. Uh, okay. be, be ready with uh, your containers, and you want a big bag of potting soil, uh, soil-free mix, uh, whatever you want to call it. And you want to find something that does not have chemical fertilizers in it. So no miracle Grow, no Osmocote, no water-holding crystals. You want to try to find Pro-Mix or the Espoma potting soil, or there's some really nice, clean potting soils from, um, from California that are appearing in our market. So, but you, you, and you're going to have to get these at a, a local garden center, not a big box store. Okay, fair enough. But you can buy the pots at a big box store if you want. Sure. So you want to take a shovel, and you want to make a big hole in the ground. You want to dig the pepper plant up with as much of the root ball intact as possible. Drop it into the container. Um, fill the rest of the container with potting soil, but don't be afraid in this case to use a lot of your garden soil because that'll lessen the transplant shock. And water them then on the spot and then transport them in like a Rubbermaid thing so they don't get your car wet. And when you get them home, just put them out on the lawn, put them out on the patio. Um, They will grow. And at the end of the season, if you want to be really clever, Uh, Pepper plants can be brought inside and kept alive under lights. They're perennials if they don't get hit by frost. So you can have a lot of fun with that. 
Um, okay. Eggplant, you'll do essentially the same thing. The strawberries, you'll just dig up and hope for the best. I would pick all of the big green fruits on your tomatoes, uh, and, and of course, any that have started to co uh, color up, and just leave those out on a kitchen counter, not in direct sun. You don't, fruits can't use sun. You want to have them out in a cool, dry area and hope that they'll ripen up. Then what I would do, uh, which way would I do this? You got two choices. You can either take a, a really big, healthy-looking branch and cut it off from the plant and then drop that into a pot filled with potting soil and keep it well watered. Uh, tomato plants love to root. Now, obviously, you're going to be starting over with a fairly small plant now, um, but that's your best chance of success is propagating a part of the plant. Then when okay. you get to your new place, really no tilling. Pick the spot where you want to build your raised bed garden. Get out there with a lawnmower and scalp it. Scalp it down to nothing. I mean, we want to see dirt blowing out the back of the mower. Then go to okay. a big box store and get all the cardboard they have that refrigerators and stuff came in and lay down a single sheet of cardboard over the entire area that you plan to be your raised bed garden. And then frame out areas that are four feet wide, but as long as you want, no wider than four feet uh, so that you can reach into the center. You're never going to till. You're never going to step in these beds. Two foot wide lanes in between four foot wide beds that can be as long as you want. Um, you're going to need a good source of compost and topsoil. So go around to your local garden centers get samples of their compost and topsoil. At the very least, mark them well so you know where they came from, put them in pots, and just water the pots. If weeds come up, you don't want to buy that compost or topsoil. If the pots stay naked and the compost and topsoil look right, smell right, feel right, then that's the stuff you're going to buy in bulk to fill your raised beds. Approximately 50-50 compost and topsoil and as much perlite as you can afford into the beds because this rain is going to keep up and we need superior drainage. So gotcha. I do, you're not going to plan really on planting anything in these beds and you're not going to do this work while it's blindingly hot outside. But every time we get, and this is the planning stage, you're going to assemble, you're going to start testing compost, you're going to acquire the cardboard. The plants from this year, they're just going to stay in big pots. Um, and then, like I said, you can try to overwinter the pepper plants, but the goal would be to finish the raised bed garden in the fall, maybe the spring, and hit the ground running next year. Um, and this can be in a lawn, just make sure you've got good sides, good frames for your raised beds. The grass will stay on the outside. Um, fill them with a foot of soil, and it'll be no work. And you don't really even have to do anything uh, to, the, uh, to the lanes. If grass starts growing back in the lanes when the cardboard uh, fades away, just weed whack it. Um, and that's it. That's, gotcha. that's what you'll do. Don't get involved in tilling. Don't get involved in cover crops unless you've got a Ph.D. in soil science. Um, and you're going to have the most success moving the peppers. Fair enough. 
And just real quickly, in another part of the – so it is a bigger space. So with after we've transplanted what we have from our old garden to our new garden, in the new the area here in Nashville, soil is really great, it seems. In a new part of the yard, if we want to start a new garden, I think the question is whether or not for that do we want to till that and put a cover crop plant in. What or, is or this obsession company? with tilling you have? Tilling, I, I, I'm, tilling, I'm filling in with my, my wife's recommendation. So I'm tilling just trying to put releases, in that, that word. Tilling releases soil nutrients. It brings a bajillion weed seeds to the surface and forces them to germinate. It can destroy your soil structure. The only soil that if you have really good soil, yeah, you can grow a field of sweet corn, your own sweet corn in that. But that's, okay. that's pretty much the only flat earth plant that you want to be involved in. And if the soil is as good as you say, I wouldn't till it. How old is the house? It is 31 years. Okay. Well, that's you you, you could be in good shape. Is there another house on the, on the spot? Is there any structures nearby? There is farm for 5 acres of corn and hay grow behind us and mm. another 5 acres of nothing. There's a beautiful flower garden, wildflower garden and Okay. The, to the All right. Side. Well, it sounds like you don't even need to test the soil for lead as you would in an urban garden or, or near an older house. So, uh, yeah, and go slow. I mean, just build a couple of raised beds to get started. Next year's garden may be smaller than your rental garden, but you want to do this right. You don't want to exhaust yourself, and you're going to have a feces load of work to do inside that house. You're going to find all sorts of electrical surprises and plumbing that was installed backwards and gas pipe that's where water pipe should be. You're going to have so much fun inside. Fingers crossed the work will be on the outside and not the inside, but gotcha. All right. Good luck, Michael. That number to call. 833-727-9588. Jill, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, thank you. So I'm in Oklahoma City. Oh, very good. My good friends there. I love that area. What can, yeah. we, what can we do you for? Well, I have a dog problem, I think, mostly. Okay. I have a small backyard that is completely covered in shade by our neighbor's tree. Mm -hmm. And I have three rambunctious large size dog uh -huh. and I'm really struggling getting a lawn to grow. Right. <laughs> what kind of dogs? Um, they're all mutts, but one's a Great Dane mix and then an Australian oh. Shepherd mix oh, and a lab mix. Oh yeah. yeah, right, right. <laughs> and the labs are so calm. Uh, right. <laughs> when um, when I would talk with my lawn care expert at Iowa State, uh, Nick Christians, I'd say, Nick, dogs and lawns and he'd say, get a bigger lawn and a smaller dog. Right. Okay, so that's not an option. <laughs> so, well, and the shade is probably not your best friend here either. Right. Oh, uh, man. Um, yeah, they're going to tear up a ground cover. You know, the the one that, how how shady is it, Johnny? Yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's completely shaded in the most of the yard for most of the day. There's little pockets where it gets full sun for uh, maybe a few hours in the morning. Okay, that's probably not enough to support even um, one of the shade-loving fescues, but okay. um, the dogs would tear those up. Yeah. Um, the only thing I can think of is, um, because you're in Oklahoma, you can grow either a cool-season grass or a warm-season grass. And I doubt any of the cool-season grasses are going to survive. Uh, and you say it's a small yard. 
Yeah, it's probably about 2,000 square feet. Okay. What I would suggest is over the winter, you investigate zoysia, Z-O-Y-S-I-A, zoysia grass. Uh, They send it to you in mats or plugs, and you install it in the spring. And as soon as the weather starts to heat up, um, it'll grow like mad and fill in. Now, the issue is you would have to keep the dogs off of it for several months while it got established. Okay. So you would just have to come up with a different routine there. But once right. it's established, it was it would probably be the best um, at taking the heavy foot traffic. Okay. The issue, of course, is the um, is the tall trees and and they're deciduous trees, right? Did you say maples? Uh, they are deciduous. I don't know if it's a maple or not. Okay. I don't know. Your other option, because it is a fairly small area would be, and you would start investigating this now, you would start talking to local landscapers and garden centers, okay. is because the trees are deciduous, the lawn will get sun in, right. in the spring, in the fall, and uh, in the winter when zoysia grass goes dormant. So unfortunately, zoysia grass would be most active when it's the most heavily shaded. So I'm going to back off on that and suggest you price sod. Okay. um, And see if you can get um, a fescue mix that is good for foot traffic, uh, tolerate some shade. You can't do bluegrass, so forget about that. But if you can get a mix of fescues, especially some fescues in there that are very shade tolerant, you might be able to get away with that. And the nice thing about the uh, the sod option is it's expensive, but once it has been installed and it's settled for about a week, mm-hmm. the dogs can go out. Mm, okay. But you know the truth is, no matter what kind of grass or how big an area, you got three big dogs roaming around and playing with each other. You're always going to get bare yeah. spots. Yeah, yeah. It's absolutely. just it's just the reality. It's like having children. It's right. not doesn't necessarily make sense, but it can occasionally be fun. I understand. (laughs) All right. Okay. Well, thank you so much for your help. I really appreciate it. All right. Well, good luck to you. Thank you. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and announce that the time is here for most of you to plant the second season especially lettuce and other salad greens, kale, and spinach. The seeds will germinate fast in the warm soil, and those leafy greens will taste better than your spring-sown crops because of the cooler nights to come. But don't go selecting seed just yet, because we'll be right back to grow herbs over the winter and take more of your fabulous phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at WLVT in Bethlehem. That's in Pennsylvania. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at WLVT in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath, and we're in the stretch now, cats and kittens. In just a little bit, we will talk about the possibilities you have 
for growing fabulous food over the winter in a cold climate. In the meantime, a couple more of your chilling phone calls at 833-727-9588. Nathan, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you. Glad to be here. Nathan, good old reliable Nathan. Your last name wouldn't be Detroit, would it? It is not. Nope, Taylor. <laughs> Where are you, Nate? I am in Muncie, Indiana. Oh God, you're just you're just brimming with show tunes in your in your life. Very good. What can we do for Nathan and Muncie? Well, I have a question about bagworms. Um, I we moved into our house a, a, about a year ago, and we noticed some bagworms on a pine tree we had, a, a blue yep. spruce. Uh-huh. Um, that we we eventually we just cut down because I didn't want to deal with it. I had heard horror stories from my parents about bagworms, hmm. and I didn't really want to get into the business of uh, spraying uh, as much as it sounded like I needed to. Um, and then over the winter, we noticed bagworms on a locust, a honey locust tree in the front yard. Um, we saw bags hanging, right. um, and so we had some concern. Um, fast forward to this summer. Um, I started seeing some death and, and destruction going on in the tree mm-hmm. and thought, okay, these bagworms are getting out of control. I thought it was odd they were on a locust tree because my, my experience from my parents' experience had told me that they, they primarily are on evergreen-type trees. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, I called a local nursery, and they said, well, you're, you don't have bagworms. You have webworms. Uh, he described what I was seeing over the phone, and... Um, Sure enough, they were webworms. So the trees infested with webworms. They Mm -hmm. came out to spray. um, And at the same time, I told the the guy who was spraying, I said, I'm pretty sure we do have bagworms, though, too. And they said, "Uh, that doesn't make any sense. We've never heard of bagworms on a deciduous tree. So my question is a couple things. Um, I do have bagworms. I know that. The Mm -hmm. guy verified it and was baffled. you can't spray this whole tree, or at least the nursery couldn't, because the tree is about 40 feet tall. Um, so how do I treat it if I need to? Will the okay. bagworms kill the tree if I don't? Yes. Um, um, so and will listen. the bagworm, will webworms damage or kill the okay. tree? Okay. So I don't now these these two cater, these are caterpillar pests, which means there's an organic control for them. I'm I'm sorry you cut down your blue spruce. You should have called me first. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, we're going to plant another evergreen, so I need to get your advice on that at this point, too. Okay, so, so bagworms are creatures that spin silk around themselves, but they integrate material from the tree they're infesting. Yeah. So it looks like a little pine cone that belongs there. Um, yeah. Well, they on the locust tree, they look like locust leaves, so it's really yeah. interesting how they do that. So. It's, yeah, they consume the leaf, and they mix that with their own... Uh, stuff they spin for themselves and they make a you know you almost think oh my locust tree has uh, pine cones on it how weird yeah right right now fall webworms and uh tent caterpillars are similar creatures they build these gigantic white diaphanous nests that can hold hundreds or thousands of caterpillars so and it looks awful is the and you that's what you have right 
Yeah, so on the locust tree, they kind of do those web bags on the ends of the branches, and they curl the branches back, and the, then they turn brown. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have a couple pecan trees where the bags are bigger, mm-hmm. but they're much fewer. There's only like three or four bags on these huge pecan trees that I have. Mm-hmm. So they're really just covering this locust tree, though. Okay, but they're individual bags. Yes. Okay. What you want to do, and this isn't going to be easy, um, but there is a pheromone. What's happening right now is the males are attempting to mate with the females. The females are safe inside those cocoons. There's one female inside each cocoon, but each female can lay 100 to 1,000 eggs. Okay. So the males are flying around now. The males kind of look like a weird hybrid of a fly with a caterpillar antenna or, or a moth antenna on top of its head. They're very ugly. Um, mm. But if they connect with the, the female, the, the front is, or the back maybe, is open. So she can come out and eat. She can get fertilized, but she's pretty safe in there. So right now, what, especially with the pecan trees, um, you need pheromone mating disruptors. These are sticky traps that give off the same pheromone as the females in heat. And so the males will fly to these traps and they'll get stuck on them. Um, Mm. Yeah, you might have to go to a specialty supplier who supplies for pecan trees, but um, try to get these pheromone traps and get them up now. Otherwise, the cure for this, and, and obviously you probably know this already, remove as many as you can. Get out there with pruners and prune it off um, on the other side of the bag because the, the silk they use uh-huh. is like stainless steel. It'll kill the tip of the, uh, of the plant. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. every one you can prune out, and you can, get, you can get pruners that can reach up like 20 feet into a tree. Okay, so right. the more you can get out of there, the better. Just think of each one that comes down as maybe 100 next year. Yeah. A- and then in the spring, in like late May, early June, you want to start spraying the trees with BT, Bacillus thuringiensis, the old original form. It's been around almost 100 years. Um, Every garden center has BT. They'll sell it under the brand name Dipel or Thoracide. Uh, Gardens Alive sells it under the brand name Green Step. But it'll say Bacillus thuringiensis. It'll say BT. Generally, yeah. all, you, all you have to do at a garden center is say, give me the organic caterpillar killer. And BT yeah. only affects caterpillars, and it only affects caterpillars that chew on the sprayed leaves. So you may need a special pressurized device to get the bee tree, BT up high in the tree. Maybe something as clever as a pressure washer. But, um, yeah. you know, get as much of it on the tree as you can And then when the females are making their cocoons in early June, they'll feed on the leaves or the needles or whatever, and they'll instantly die. But it's no threat to bees, birds, pets, people, frogs, toads, even a butterfly, which used to be a caterpillar, can land on that plant and won't be harmed because it's not eating the leaves. So right now you want to disrupt the mating of the males. And in the early spring, you want to start spraying with BT to help get this under control. Okay. And will that address the bagworms and the webworms? Yes. Although I'm still, are you seeing big nests for the fall webworms? 
I mean, these things are I, these things are big. They're the size of a at least a hand towel. Yeah, I've, there's a couple, like I said, two or three on one of my pecan trees. On the locust tree, they're much smaller and just out toward the ends of the branches. That might be yet a different caterpillar. But the nice thing about BT is it affects all caterpillars. If you can reach any of the fall webworms, it's a lot of fun to bust open the nest with a broom. Um, and, then, <laughs> and then the birds will come and eat them. Oh, okay. Okay. All right? Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, good so, luck. Good luck, Nathan. Yeah, just thank you very much. I, I uh, appreciate your input, and um, that's very helpful. Thank you, sir. You take care. You too. Bye-bye. All right. It's time for the question of the week, which we're calling Growing Herbs Over the Winter. Laura, up in chilly Albany, New York, writes, I'm a longtime perennial gardener, and this summer I also built a raised bed for an herb garden. Boy, have I been missing out. I love cooking with fresh herbs, so much so that I'm determined to have an indoor herb garden this winter. Now, here in Albany, as you know, our winters can be long and cold, and fresh herbs can be scarce. I have a section of my finished basement that I would like to transform into an indoor greenhouse. Can you give a newbie like me some tips on how to set up my indoor garden for success? Things like heat, water requirements, etc. I ordered a bunch of herb plants from an organic growers exchange that will be delivered to me mid-September. I'm also trying my hand at rooting some cuttings and water from my existing herb plants like rosemary, tarragon, and oregano to see if I can propagate some of my own plants for the indoors. By the way, thanks for all the great shows. I listen to them on the weekends in the winter while the snow is piling up, and then I can imagine myself outside in the sunshine gardening. Well, I think you have a doable idea, Laura. A lot of people think they can duplicate a summer garden indoors over winter with plants that get big fast, like tomatoes and cukes. Smaller, less temperamental plants like herbs are a much better choice, especially when you're trying this for the first time. Now, I have to warn you, rooting plants in water is really cool. People love seeing those long white roots filling up the jelly jar, and those weak roots can't survive the transition to soil. So to do this correctly, cut several sections of new growth from each plant. Have containers and a high-quality organic potting soil ready. Fill the containers with the mix. Let them sit in the sink with a couple inches of water in the bottom for an hour, drain them, and then use a pencil to make planting holes. Don't force the cuttings down into the soil. Remove any leaves that will be below the soil line. Drop them into the holes. Gently fill in the holes with more soil. Mist the cuttings well, and then cover the whole schmageggy loosely with a plastic bag. Mist daily, and with a little luck, those cuttings will take root. Now, since you're in Albany, you might as well just go dig up the rosemary, oregano, and other plants that would otherwise die a horrible death over the winter. Pot them up and take them inside. Spray them with fiercely sharp streams of water several times after they're potted, but before they come inside to get rid of any hitchhiking pests. Now, the indoor greenhouse delusion. Uh, I, I, I meant instruction, not delusion. <clears throat> Maybe. Now, a finished basement, like you described, sounds a lot cozier than the Middle Ages-era cellar I'm stuck with. Was everybody under 5'5 back in the 1880s, or did people just not know how to measure? My forehead can't take much more. 
If the temperature in your basement ranges from the high 60s to the low 70s, that's fine. Don't worry about heat. Just don't locate this setup near a door to the outside, a window that gets freezing cold at night, or a heater of any kind. All right, now let's get down to brass tacks. Get one or two of those big folding plastic tables. Plastic because they're going to get wet. Folding because you'll probably want to store them over the seven weeks you upstate New Yorkers call summer. Big plastic containers for the plants as well. Yeah, terracotta looks really nice, but it wicks its moisture into the air. And it's a bear to keep wet, especially indoors over the winter when humidity typically runs away to hide. If you want to try this on a small scale, start with shop lights that hold two four-foot long tubes. If you want to go all in, get fixtures that hold four four-foot long tubes each. That's what I use to start my tomato and pepper seedlings. They give off a lot of light. Now comes your MacGyver moment. You want the tops of your plants to always be as close as possible to the tubes, an inch away or less. So you're either going to hang the lights on chains that you can use to raise them up or start out on top of books, those books you haven't read yet, and remove books as the plants grow taller. I use the book roulette method. Most sources will tell you to put the lights on a timer and have them go off for eight hours every night. I personally can never find my timers in March, so most years I just leave the lights on 24-7 and everything works out great. Now, you want the roots to be able to dry out between waterings. Everyone's indoor humidity is going to be different, so go by the way to the pots. Rock them. If they feel light, it's time to water. If they feel heavy, walk away, Renee. Herbs are not heavy feeders, so a dilute solution of liquid organic fertilizer once every six weeks should be plenty. If you prefer granular fertilizer, make it about a quarter cup per plant and make sure you have a bag of compost handy, as any granular fertilizer should be covered with compost or soil to make it more available to the plants more quickly. All right, trust in the plants and good luck, grasshopper. That sure was some good advice about growing indoors now, wasn't it? Luckily, you can read these instructions over at your leisure or your leisure because the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. Just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden question of the week, and you will always find the latest question of the week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to ruin my rosemary. If I don't get out of this studio, we must be out of time. But you really can. Call us anytime at 833-727-9588 or send us your email, your tired, your poor, your wretched refuse, teeming towards our garden shore at ybyg at wlvt.org. Please include your location. Oh, please, please. You'll find all of this contact information, plus answers to many of your garden questions, audio of this show, video of this show, audio and video of old shows, and links to our internationally renowned podcast. It's all at YouBetYourGarden.org. You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show, and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly by Rodale Institute Radio in association with WLVT. PBS 39 in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the Public Radio Exchange. 
You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created by Harold and Nancy McGrath. Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our engineer is always cheerful, Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda McGrath. Check out her fine work at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Tierra Waring Tavia Minnick is our associate producer of Production Association. Our website wonder is Anastasia Weckerly. Our audio editor is Jazzy Jonas Bowen. Our video editor is Judicious Jake Boyer. Our harassed and harried director is Javier Diaz. Our producer is I'm not here. Our occasional cameraman is Jeff Frederick. Zach the Tack Wisniewski is in the house. Our CEO, tremulous Tim Fallon, is in the house. He's late for a meeting, and he's still not our executive producer. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Now face front, true believers, and start putting up your harvest. Make tremendous tomato sauce. Dry those hot peppers and make your own hot pepper shake. And whatever you do with that big zucchini in your garden, don't send them to me. And maybe I'll see you again next week. This is the ticket. Oh, it is, is it? Beautiful night. I got my best girl with me. Although, you know what could make it even better? Let me guess. Some mint chocolate chip. Bingo. You always get a little sappy when that sweet tooth kicks in. Partners since the beginning. Throughout life, you have many different partners. Shouldn't you have one for the most important aspect of life? Your health. Lehigh Valley Health Network. Your health deserves a partner. Learn more at LVHN.org.